how many of you in the room um, recognize the name Jack Benny, the comedian Jack Benny? Yep, you're old. Okay, all of you. Yep, yep. All right, those of you that are students and younger, how many of you have never heard the name Jack Benny? You don't know who Jack Benny is? That's cool. Think of, think of Jimmy Fallon, okay? Think of Jimmy Fallon. So Jack Benny, he's a young, aspiring comedian, not famous yet, and he's in this office, the studio, and he sees this cute thing at the desk, and so he wanted to ask her out, but he was too shy. If you know Jack Benny, that's a funny story, but he was too shy to ask her out, and so he sends her a red rose and watches from the distance just to see how it was received, and it was well-received. So he still didn't have the courage, so the next day he sends her another red rose. She lights up like a Christmas tree again. He does this for 30 days never talks to her, never meets her. And finally, after 30 days, this woman said to the florist, who keeps sending me all these flowers, these red roses? He said, well, it's some guy named Jack. I don't know who he is, some guy named Jack. So she tracked down in the office how many Jacks there were, and only one was single. And so she met the guy. Sure enough, they go out, they fall in love, they get married. So she assumed that the whole red rose thing would cease. They get married, come back from the honeymoon. The florist brings a red rose the first day, brings a a red rose the second day. For 42 years, Jack Benny sends his wife a red rose every single day of their marriage. He dies. He dies. And the next day, the florist comes again. And she goes, well, that was really nice of the florist. The second day, the florist comes, brings another red rose. The third day after Jack Minnie's dead, he comes and brings a red rose. She calls up the florist, and she says, look, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. That was so kind. My husband sent me these red roses for over 42 years. She said, you don't have to do this. He said, oh, no, Mrs. Minnie, you don't understand. He said, Jack came and saw me two years ago. He's made provisions for you to have a red rose every day of your life. Now, there's two different reactions to that story. All the women in this room are going, ah. And all the guys in the room are going, dude, really? Really? You just told that story? Are you crazy? I thought you were on our side. Two different reactions to that. Well, you're probably going to have two different reactions to the sermon this morning as well. And we're going to talk about marriage this morning. Of all the verses out of the book of Ephesians I could have chosen, I really feel led to do this. And by the time we get done with this, we may not need that fourth service. Everybody next week may fit in my living room. I I don't know. I I hope not. There's probably a couple of reasons why this is on my mind. Um, Number one, is we're working real hard. Tom Bates and Tom Goodlett are working real hard on the curriculum for the, uh, the Marriage Matters for the Wedding Chapel, and it's on equipping, and so I'm, they're running it all by me, and so I'm thinking about it probably. I think a second reason is, is two weeks ago um, tonight, I was, had the wonderful privilege of walking my oldest daughter down the aisle, and then, yeah, it was great, awesome. And uh, then, I got, then I got to marry her. I just can't tell you uh, the honor that that is. But I think a third reason that maybe that's on my mind is the fact that I have learned over these last 35 years what makes a really good marriage. I used to think it was just like potluck. 
just, you know, they got lucky or they just, you know, got blessed. But I also know what makes a really bad marriage. And so after all these years, I mean, it's not just dumb luck. People who have great marriages, there are some things they do right. And people who don't have good marriages, there are some things that, that don't go well and they don't do right. And so I've seen this slow erosion And the erosion usually leads to an explosion. So there's erosions and explosions. And so I want to prevent that. So today, I've never done this before until last hour. Um, I don't care what culture says. I want to give you what the book of Ephesians says. It's going to be raw. It's going to be real. It's not culturally progressive. And not everybody in the room is going to agree with me. Some of you may be mad at me. I'm okay with that. I got thick skin. I've been a preacher for 35 years, okay? But I want to give you something today that maybe you've never received before. And so you can go with culture. Hey, when, you know, when he gets sick, you can think about getting rid of him. Hey, you find somebody else that's cuter or skinnier or, you know, you, hey, you know, um, you're not going to live forever. You're not getting any younger. So maybe I got to keep. Maybe I married too young. Maybe I just. Maybe I just didn't know what I was doing. Maybe I married the wrong person. You can go with all that, but I'm asking today for just a few minutes that you listen through the lenses of Scripture. Now you've been conditioned through culture all the day, all the days of your life, but I'm going to ask you today to just listen to the other side and see if it's any better. So stand with me. I want to read the verses on Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33, and then we're going to go over them. So I'll read them. You, you watch. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. I mean, he who loves his wife loves himself, after all. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Join me in prayer. Father, what do you want to say today? What scales do you want to come off the eyes? Our hearts. Speak to our hearts today. Speak to our minds today. I believe there's something today for every student in this room. For every person that's been married 55 or 60 years, I believe there's something in this room for those that are divorced and that are single again. I believe there's something in this room this morning that's going to touch all our lives 
with this. To your glory and to your honor, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, sit down and buckle up. Okay. So here's verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, starts off with this general reference to all of us should be in submission. Now here's the key word today. It's the word mission. Say that with me together. Mission. Say it together. Mission. The key word today, I think how we've misinterpreted this passage is we've missed the understanding of the word mission. First of all, he's letting every believer know that there is a mission and you're in it. There is a story and you're in it. You are a part of the story of God. And so he's, first of all, he's saying to all of us, all of us are in the mission. And the reason that we submit to the mission is out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes from big picture, broad brushstrokes, now to very narrow within the family, and he starts with wives. Just hang on, women. I'm coming to the men, okay? So he says this now in verse 22. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, the whole concept of this is there is a mission. Every couple has a mission. And every couple has to figure out what that mission is. And primarily, it's the man's responsibility. It is the man's responsibility to primarily drive and detect what that mission is. And so the wife then, she then helps with the mission. She makes a decision as to whether or not she wants to come involved in that mission. So before you ever get married, you ask yourself, where's the guy going? And what's the spiritual mission? Does he have a spiritual mission? Now, just camp out for a second. So I get ready to marry a couple. And I sit down with the couples. And I do this with, with multiple, multiple times for multiple, multiple years. And so I sit down with a couple. And I say to him, I say, what? How long have I been dating? Well, two years. Okay, great. Two years. Now, I say to him, now, tell me what she believes. Well, um, um, he said, believes about what? Well, about God, about faith, about, you know, your spiritual lives. Well, I think she's Presbyterian. And she says, no, I'm Episcopalian. I go, okay, this is going to be good. Here we go. So I asked her, I said, well, tell me a little bit about his faith. Well, tell me about his faith. She said, well, you know, he, he's Roman Catholic. He goes, I'm not Catholic. I'm Greek Orthodox. Where did you get that? And so they've been dating for two years. They're engaged, and they're getting ready to get married, and they don't have a clue about each other's faith. The whole reason that God created marriage was for a husband and wife to have a mission, and they don't even know what each other believes? Are you kidding me? And so the whole purpose of marriage was for a man and a woman to come together, and God would give them a mission. Do you know your mission? You have one. Whether or not you've discovered it or not, I don't know. And so Adam, he crees, he's, you know, naming all the animals. God gives him this mission to subdue and have dominion and do everything well, do everything right. And the Bible then says after he named all the animals that man was still lonely. And he said then, it is not good for the man to be alone. I think this is hilarious. It never says it's not good for women to be alone. <laughs> 
I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. i got enough trouble this morning, all right? But he says it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, now Adam, you know, doesn't go and say, Eve, we got these daffodils. These daffodils. I, I, go plant them over there. And go plant them over there. And put them by the river over there. I think this is what Adam said. I think Adam said, honey, what are these? She said, those are daffodils. He said, well, those are pretty. She said, yes, they're beautiful. He said, do you you know where we should put them? She said, well, I I have a suggestion. How about we put them over there and put some there and put some there? And Adam goes, man, that was really good. And she goes, I know. (laughs) Right? You see, as a wife, you come under the mission that God has planned for a couple. Now, if you don't want to come under any mission, then don't get married. Then don't get married. But you come under the mission as you do to the Lord because the Lord has a mission for your family. Look at the next verse. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now let's just stop right there. Guys, it is our responsibility to figure out the mission. And the wife helps us, absolutely. But you're the one that drives the mission. You're the one that figures out the mission. This is why he put us together. One plus one equals nine. There's the synergism of a husband and a wife being together. And you always make a better product. Adam made a better product because of Eve. Eve made a better product because of Adam. Let's stop right there for just a second. A couple, again, is having troubles. They're dating. They're engaged. And they've gone through World War III. Now, I don't do much of this anymore. But back when the church was smaller and back when, you know, things were younger, I, I, would say, I would say to her, so you guys are fighting. Yeah, we're fighting. I said, let me ask you this question. Does he make you better? Well, what do you mean? Does he make you better? I, I, I don't know what you mean. Well, well, God has a plan, and the plan is that the two of you together make a better product. Do, are you a better woman because of him? She said, not really. Well, then tell me why you're dating him. And they look at me like I fell off the turnip truck. They do. And I'll say to him, I'll say, I'll say now you guys have been struggling, you're fighting, you're not getting along well. Does, does she make you a better man? No, she really doesn't. Hello? But when you find a woman that makes you a better man, and you find a man that makes you a better woman, now we're talking. Now we're going somewhere. And, and, and everybody says, well, you know what? Love is just, you know, it's not a feeling. Love's not a feeling. Well, let's just stop on that one as well. Absolutely love's a feeling. Absolutely love is chemistry. If you don't start with chemistry, down the road, you won't have any relationship. Now, love is not only a feeling, but there's chemistry before there's a commitment. Nobody wants to make a commitment without chemistry. I hear all these preachers talking about love is not a feeling, love is not a feeling. Well, I understand that. But it starts all with a feeling, doesn't it? I mean, if there's not a strong chemical connection, I mean, there's a thing between you and this. I mean, if there's not that down the road, it's not going to work. Now, down the road, love is a commitment. Absolutely. Down the road, love is a decision. But love always starts off with chemistry or it's really not love at all. So husbands, what's the mission? Wives, do you want to come with him on the mission that God has in store for you? That's the hard part of submission 
It's putting your mission aside and getting on board with his mission that he supposedly has gotten from his heavenly father. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. We have no problem with Christ. We have no problem with Christ being the head of the church, but we struggle with husbands because husbands aren't Christ, right? And so the key word there is, is you do it as to the Lord. That's the motive. It's not you're worried about your husband. You try to get under the Lord's authority, and the Lord will change your husband. Why try to change your spouse? Why try to change your wife? Why try to change your husband? Why don't you get out of the way and let the Lord do the heavy lifting? He's the one that changes people. Well, we've got to keep going. All right, next verse. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Now, here's where this has gotten blown clear out of the water. In everything. If your husband is asking you to do something illegal, you shouldn't submit to him. If he's asking you to do something immoral, you shouldn't submit to him. If he's broken his marriage vows, you're not under that submission to him. If he's medically or mentally incapacitated for some reason, that's, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the mission that God has for your life. So about 13 years ago, um, I really felt like we were supposed to leave Memphis, Tennessee and come to Safety Harbor, Florida. Danita thought I had lost my everlasting mind. She really did. I, I just felt strongly. I'd been a senior pastor there. The church went from 125 to 1,200 people. I was cooked. It was time for a break. And I just thought it was time to, to do something different. And um, I actually came down here as the number two guy. But the process is what was so interesting. So I came down here, was offered the position, and then the church back in Memphis, and I've never told you this before, offered me a six-month paid sabbatical. And the elders there were asking me to make sure I made the right decision. I had six months paid basically to go to Sandestin, Florida, and just make sure that was God's will for my life. At the end of the first month, I only did it for one month, I said to Danita one night, I know what we're supposed to do. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense on paper. It doesn't smell good, look good, but I know it's what we're supposed to do. So she's had a decision to make, and she loved Memphis. And as a preacher's kid, Danita had never stayed anywhere more than four or five years. And so after, you know, 15, 16 years, this was home. This was stability. She'd never had that kind of stability ever in her life. And so Danita then, you know, said, all right, all right, we'll do it. If that's what you think God wants us to do. I think you've lost your everlasting mind. I, she did say that. And, and, but I, I, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. So we come down here, and the senior pastor has a moral failure. And things go from bad to worse. And all of a sudden, I'm the interim senior minister, and I don't want the job. I wanted to, I worked out a deal with the senior pastor. I'd be here for about four years until Ethan, the boy that was leading worship a while ago, who's now 25, until he graduated from high school. And when he graduated from high school, I'd go be a senior pastor somewhere else. See, the point is, submission's easy when it's what you want to do. Submission's really hard 
when it's not what you want to do, but you still think it's what God wants you to do. And then the last seven or eight years, this is one of the healthiest churches you will ever find the last seven or eight years. But the first three to five years was rough. And for those of you that were here and were part of this, it was a brutal experience that we all went through. So husbands, you got to lead. And you got to lead well. And you got to lead spiritually. Look at the next verse. He says this. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, when Paul said this, women were just objects. When Paul wrote this, women were like way down here on the, on the social ladder. What Paul does, and everybody thinks Paul's a sexist, what Paul does is he raises the value of women. He's saying to everybody, let me tell you, let me tell you how important a wife is. Husbands, don't just treat them like animals. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ died for the church. And you must be willing, instead of to use her and abuse her, you need to be willing to lay down your life for her. That's the point Paul's trying to make. And so again, when a husband comes around his wife, when a husband lays down his life for her, everything changes. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church when the church wasn't very lovable, right? And sometimes, I know present company excluded, but sometimes wives aren't very lovable. But he's talking about husbands, so you've got to love them. you still got to love your spouse even when things aren't going well. Because there's chemistry, there's also commitment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Wow, what a statement that is. Look at the next verse. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Husbands, it is our job to pour some scripture into the family. It is our job to come alongside of our wife and pour a little scripture on her pillow or on her nightstand or a prayer time or when you're doing a 21-day fast. It is our job to say, "This is I'm engaged. I'm in this. To make her holy, these men had never ever heard this before. This is radical for a husband to come alongside of a wife and to cleanse her and wash her with the scriptures and the scriptures make her better and healthier and holier and wiser and more stable through the word. Look at the next verse. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. Do you think a woman's going to follow a man if he's doing all that? She'll follow that man anywhere. Right? I didn't know Mrs. Benny, but I bet Mrs. Benny, because of the whole red rose thing, I bet she, I bet she loved him and was willing to follow that man anywhere. Now, here's the problem. The problem is most men don't feel confident to lead the home spiritually because most men know that the wife is more spiritual than him. I get that. Danita is. And I'm the pastor. That's really good, isn't it? You come to this church. <laughs> I, I readily admit she's far more spiritual than I am. You see, in about 70% of homes, according to surveys, women are at mile marker 29 and guys are about mile marker 16. And so in most homes, the problem is the guy feels insecure because she knows more scripture. I'm telling you, I pray. You're glad to hear that. I pray. My wife can pray for an hour and a half. I've never seen anything like it. 
I, I read my Bible every day. I listen to it on my phone. My wife camps out. I, I, I memorize Scripture. I guarantee you, Danita has more Scripture in her heart and in her mind than I do. See, the problem is when we don't feel like we're as spiritual. Last Sunday was a long day. I preached three times. I actually had a wedding at Honeyman Island Beach before the beach baptism. It was really cool. This couple got married on the beach. It was fun. It was fun. And um, all eight of you were there. So it was, it was, it was, it was exciting at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, we baptized 56 people. I'm exhausted. We're driving home from beach baptisms. I, I'm just, you know, my mind is just mush. And a, a problem surfaced with a family in the church. And Danita said, she said, do you want to pray for them? And we're in the car together. She said, that's been a long day. She said, do you want to pray for them? I said, no. I want, I said, no. <laughs> well, let me finish the story. Wait a minute. I said, I said, no. I said, I want to watch Clint Eastwood shoot somebody. far more spiritual than I am. I admit it. I got no issues with that. But it's still my job. It's still your job to pour into her truth and prayer. Even though that may happen in your family, as men, we still have the responsibility to pour into them and to pour into the children and to pour into our context and to pour into our culture. Let's look at the next verse. I want to show you what, what um, same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look at the next verse. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Let's look at verse 30. For all members of his body. See, we have a mission. All of us are a part of the greater mission of God. Verse 31 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They have the same mission. They help each other find the same mission. Guy's getting ready to walk out of the house, and the wife says, Really? You're going to wear that? They help each other, right? <laughs> what does that mean, guys? Bad. That's a bad idea. That ain't going to work. Verse 32 says this, It's a profound mystery. This is a mystery, how this all works together. This great mission, how it works, this is a mystery. But it's the same way that Christ works in the mission of the church. And then verse 33 says this, so you love your wife and you show respect. Now, I want to show just one more slide, Dan, if you would, about headship. Yeah, because I don't want anybody to walk out of here today with a misconstrued idea of what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to say. Misguided headship says... I am your head, so you take orders from me and you do what I want. But godly leadership says, I am to lay down my life for you. How how different is that? It's huge. Misguided headship says, you must submit to me, so here's what I want you to do. (laughs) That's never worked in my marriage in 32 years. (laughs) I just want you to know I have a lot of experience with this. Godly leadership says, I am responsible for figuring out God's specific and general mission for us. Please help me. Please help me to get this right. So we're down to the last part of the sermon, and we're going to make a decision. There are defining decisions, and there are daily decisions. And I want to talk about defining decisions. See, the daily decisions are easy once you've made the defining decision. A defining decision is... 
I'm going to lead my family. A defining decision is, I'm going to help him figure out the mission. A defining decision is, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. A defining decision is, I'm going to show him respect as to the Lord. I'm showing him respect right now. Maybe he's not being respectful, but I'm going to show him respect because that's what the Lord's asking me to do, and the Lord's going to change him. That's a defining decision. A defining decision is we're going to be loyal and faithful. to. We're, we're not having sexual relations outside our marriage. That's a defining decision. And then the daily decisions are how do you build moral margin? How do you build that moral margin into your daily decisions? And if you don't build, that's a defining decision. A defining decision is more moral margins, more moral margins. That's hard to say. More moral margins in my life. So let me ask you this question this morning. What defining decisions do you need to make? Let's worry about the daily decisions tomorrow. Let's not worry about that today. It's the defining decision that is most urgent in your life today. What defining decision needs to be made? I'm going to respect him. I'm going to lay down my life for her. I love the story of Tom Anderson. Tom Anderson was a Wall Street guy. Still is, as far as I know. And he hears a sermon about laying down your life for your wife and he goes, oh, man, I've been a selfish guy. I've been so self-centered. And they're getting ready to go on a two-week vacation, wife and kids. So Tom Anderson says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, for two weeks, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to love her. I'm going to honor her. I'm going to do everything I can to pour into her. And so the first day of the vacation, she comes out with this, like, this yellow T-shirt on. And he said, um, Evelyn, I like that T-shirt. She said, well, well, thanks, Tom. Just shocked that he'd given her a compliment. A couple days go by, and he's getting ready to read one of his Wall Street journals. And she said, um, he just sat down in the, in the chair, and she said, let's go for a long walk. He said, I didn't want to go for a walk. I want to read my journal. He said, sure, honey, let's go for a walk. They went for a walk. About three days later, um, he wants to go sailing, and the family wants to go to the Shell Museum. He said, I hate museums. And we've been to that same stupid museum 18 times. He said, he said, sure, honey, whatever you want to do, let's go to the Shell Museum. And they went to the Shell Museum. The last night of the two weeks, um, Evelyn, the wife, came to Tom, and she said, um, very distraught, she said, Tom, I'm worried. She said, do you know something I don't know? She said, that doctor's visit I had three weeks ago, she said, did he call you? She said, Tom, am I dying? (laughs) He bursts into tears. She bursts into tears and asks that question. He bursts out laughing. He says, no, honey, you're not dying. I'm just starting to live. You want to live? You serve those people around you. You want to live? You lay down your life for the mission that God has called unto you. Well, the most defining decision you can ever make is giving your life to Jesus Christ. And if you've not done that, that's the place to start this morning with our prayer partners. And we're going to have our prayer partners come down in just a second. 
you talk to them. Maybe you don't even know how to do it. They'll help you. They'll help you make a defining decision. The daily decisions, we'll worry about that later. But the defining decision, that's the most important one. Maybe today you want special prayer because your marriage is not going well. Or maybe you're single and you've been dating somebody that's not helping you make a better product. And you go, I don't know, you know how to get out of this. Maybe you need special prayer this morning. Maybe your marriage is going great. And you just want somebody to pray over you that things continue to go the same way. About a year ago, Denise and I came down front and Ted and Meredith Cadwallader prayed over our marriage. It's like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. We just want to pray that God, maybe today you just want special prayer that things continue to go really, really well in your marriage. I want to encourage you today to come down front and have prayer. But more importantly, and most importantly, a decision, a defining decision that will forever change your daily decisions. So prayer partners, if you'd come down front, the rest of us right now are going to stand and pray, and I'm going to pray for us, pray over us. How great you are. And how you led Paul to pen this 2,000 years ago. And it was so drastic and so radical. And I, I, I'm sure that there's some real struggling marriages in this room. And I'm sure there's some real heartache in this room. And I'm sure there's some, a lot of pain in this room. But help us not to look so much in the rearview mirror as through the windshield. As to how we can go forward. How can we go forward and change our culture, change our community, change our country with this deep, deep-seated values of biblical marriage? We love you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.